Welcome to Inbeta, where we ask the big questions about digital policy and human rights. My name is Charles Bradley, and I'm the Executive Director at Global Partners Digital. We relaunched this podcast as a way of keeping track of developments in the rapidly changing moment and examine ways in which different responses to dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic are having an impact on human rights and digital policy. This week, we're going to be speaking to Stefan Verhulst of NYU's GovLab. It's fantastic to have Stefan Verhulst um, on the line with us today. Stefan, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Charles. Fantastic. Yeah. So for our listeners, um, would you mind just giving us a quick introduction to who you are and, and the GovLab? Sure. So I'm Stefan Verhulst. I'm the uh, co-founder of GovLab, or Governance Laboratory. And we are an action research center based in New York. We are part of New York University. And the mission is to transform and improve the way we make decisions using new technologies and new science. And specifically, we focus on what we believe are two important asset groups that can be leveraged to change the way we go about making decisions. On the one hand, people. So we do a lot of work on new ways to engage people and their expertise towards establishing collective intelligence. And the other asset group is, of course, data. And here we've done a lot of work on how do we leverage data responsibly in order to improve the way we go about making decisions, including decisions as it relates to, for instance, COVID-19. Fantastic. Yeah, and it's exactly that point that I wanted to pick up next. Um, so uh, GovLab has created this uh, amazing repository of different initiatives. And I wondered whether you could um, give us a little introduction to it and why you've decided to create it. Sure. So uh, you refer to our living repository on data for COVID-19 collaboratives and initiatives. And it emerged out of somewhat of a frustration for myself uh, when we started working on uh, how can we leverage data in the context of COVID-19, uh, we saw over and over again the same problems emerging that we have seen in other contexts, other epidemics such as Ebola, for instance, or other crisis situations, for instance, post-earthquakes, where uh, data could be tr- extremely important and relevant, but somehow as a society, we have not figured out the right way to reuse data that could be uh, of huge importance to save people's lives. And so to that end, we issued a call for action that so far has been signed by 400 key uh, individuals working on data and data collaboratives. But part of the call for action was also the need to actually assess what is going on and especially identify ways to establish collaborations among the initiatives that are emerging. And so the living repository is basically an attempt to map the initiatives that have been that have emerged in the context of COVID-19 in order to a conduct a gap analysis uh, so that we actually understand what is being done, but also what is not being done especially as it relates to a variety of questions, such as questions that are related with second-order impact areas of COVID, but to also understand geographically where do all the COVID-19 data initiatives reside, to also, again, realize and understand the geographical capacity and the geographical spread of those data initiatives. And you won't be surprised to learn that, obviously, a certain regions are less represented, such as Africa 
and uh, parts of uh, Latin America, for instance, as well. And also to understand uh, what is the responsibility framework of all those initiatives? To what extent do they go ahead and adhere to certain kinds of principles? And so that was the initial intent. Since then, we have about 170 initiatives that we have uh, documented. And now we are moving into an analysis stage to really understand what can we learn and especially what do we see as trends uh, as it relates to data for COVID-19. Absolutely. And as you were saying earlier, you've, you've worked on many different sort of moments like this in, in the past and different sort of data collaboratives around that, so, such as earthquakes and, and Ebola. Are there particular um, sort of unique qualities to the, sort of the data initiatives and responses to COVID-19 in relation to, to other, um, other examples? Or are they quite, quite similar? Are they following the same pattern? Well, well, they follow the same pattern at the same time, of course, every crisis has its uh, unique features. And I think, uh, obviously, COVID-19 is a global uh, phenomenon, which I think uh, makes it also uh, uh, fairly unique as opposed to a well-located uh, uh, kind of disaster, which obviously um, is equally um, um, impactful. But the, uh, the global nature makes a difference, and of course, also the nature uh, with regard to the massive impact that the disease or the virus and the response to the virus has had on uh, every aspect of society, whether it's uh, economic, whether it's political, the way we go about making decisions, uh, or whether it is um, uh, the impact on, for instance, education and other societal institutions. And so data has uh, a unique role to play to really understand the scale of impact, not only at the epidemiological level, uh, but also at uh, other areas, uh, such as socioeconomic and uh, political, for instance, including uh, the misuse of information uh, as it relates to informing uh, COVID. So it's global in nature and the breadth of impact is also uh, much larger than uh, uh, in the, in that we've seen in other kinds of contexts. Fantastic, yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of the different initiatives that you're seeing, are there, apart from the, sort of those geographic trends that you pulled out earlier, are there other particular trends that you're seeing um, as you move into this more analytical phase? Yeah, well, one mean, there are a variety of ways to analyze the current uh, universe of data initiatives. And so one way that we are trying to understand is to what extent do those initiatives address gaps across the data lifecycle from collection to processing to or, 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 or pooling data to then analyzing data to ultimately using data. And, and, and uh, finding ways to um, visualize data. And we see initiatives popping up uh, across the data life cycles. Like, anyway, there's no shortage of um, um, apps that have been developed uh, in order to either um, stimulate self-reporting or to crowdsource uh, data to fill in data gaps that otherwise might be there. We also see a lot of initiatives uh, popping up at the pooling stage or reuse stage of uh, data, such as reusing mobile phone data, for instance, in order to become smarter about the impact of social distancing. We see also initiatives 
at the data visualization stage. And actually, I would say there is no shortage of those kinds of initiatives that uh, uh, everyone is trying out uh, some kind of a visualization mechanism to use quite often the same data from John Hopkins. And then, of course, we see also a variety of initiatives at the way data is being used. Now, what we would advocate for is more end-to-end -end kind of initiatives, because what we see is that many of those initiatives are popping up, but are actually not fully connected with the other parts of the stages, right? So we see a lot of self-reporting, but then how is it connected with actually the way to analyze it that can inform action? Or we see uh, a lot of initiative at the visualization stage, but how can we actually improve the quality of the data so that the, actually the visualization improves as well? And how do we also tap into other data sets and so on? So um, more end-to-end -end kind of data initiatives would be, or in, uh, which could be established, of course, through better collaboration across the initiatives, uh, really driven by the demand side. And that's the other element that we have analyzing is that what are the questions that are actually all those initiatives seek to address and we have unfortunately no um, real consensus let alone a priority list on the questions that as a society and from a decision making point of view uh, we should prioritize absolutely i think that's Super, going to be super important um, to, to making sure that any of these initiatives are actually useful and provide um, insight that can be can be used. And one of the things that we talk about obviously is the proportionality of any of these um, uh, sort of developments and these these um, sort of technical developments of collecting data for a, for a, you know for a legitimate purpose. Um, and it's very hard to sort of take that analysis forward when we don't understand always whether this will be useful um, to actually stop the spread um, and, and save lives as it's, as it's being uh, purported. Um, are there ways in which um, sort of human rights defenders or other, other actors could uh, sort of use the tool um, to, to explore the repository or get involved more generally with, with GovLab and other people on, on this work? Yeah, um... Thanks for that. And, and yes, obviously, we would love to um, collaborate uh, both with uh, uh, the research community, but also with the uh, human rights community in order to, as I said, part of our efforts is also to do an assessment with regard to um, how can we reuse data in a manner that A, provides insight that is highly needed in order to save lives, while protecting human rights and privacy, for instance, rights as well. And um, and obviously, um, many have tried to figure this out. But again, it's very fragmented. And, uh, and there is no real place to go to with regard to uh, getting um, counsel and getting uh, advice on how to go about this. And so um, the repository can be used, A, to realize what is going on, because again, there's a lot of misinformation about also uh, moving towards, for instance, a surveillance state. Actually, many of those initiatives are very limited in nature as well. So we don't have to uh, overreact uh, as well. At the same time, there is a need to also uh, use the repository to understand where are the gaps from a governance point of view that collectively we should uh, work on, because it's not like we have figured it out on how we govern the reuse of data or even the collecting of data uh, in somewhat uh, of an invasive manner quite often 
as it relates to, for instance, tracing uh, the way we go about uh, contacts. And um, and so, yeah, so I hope uh, this might provide for a basis uh, and evidence uh, uh, beyond uh, uh, assuming the worst. And uh, uh, today we also have launched, together with some colleagues um, at a variety of universities, ranging from Cambridge to uh, the uh, Institute for um, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence in Munich, we've launched a global consortium on AI ethics uh, that was informed by the living repository on what is needed from an ethical point of view. And so uh, people and uh, organizations can join that consortium, and that might be another way to potentially collaborate. Fantastic. Thanks so much. And we'll make sure that both of those are linked through into the into the podcast um, on SoundCloud and Spotify, etc. Um, Stefan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Fantastic to have Stefan on the show. It's been another busy week with some amazing organisations putting out great content and responding to the evolving situation. Um, one example is that 75 organisations have signed on to an open letter led by the Centre for Democracy and Technology, calling for social media and content sharing platforms to make automated moderation data available to researchers and journalists. The Clear and Present Danger podcast has interviewed Monica Bickett, Facebook's Head of Global Policy Management, about the platform's approach to content moderation in the COVID age, and it's, it's definitely worth a listen. Maria Paz Canales, um, the Executive Director of Chile's Directions Digitalis, has set out some useful guidelines to ensure tech solutions around COVID-19 are proportionate and respect fundamental rights. And the UK's Ada Lovelace Institute has published a new evidence review of contact tracing apps. It argues that any future contact tracing app in the UK must be backed by specific legislation regulating the processing of data, encourage privacy by design, and establish a robust independent oversight mechanism. Lots for us to be thinking about as we go into the next phase of, of this pandemic. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Um, thank you so much for joining us and join us next week where we'll be speaking to Ashna Kalamera from Sepesa and learning more about the approaches that different African states are taking to deal with the situation.